1: Spooky. Spooky, spooky, spooky times. Ghosts. Taxes. <laughs> <laughs> Responsibilities. <This podcast. laughs> spooky times. Hello, welcome back to Murder in the Land of Oz.
0: I'm Jess. I'm Ellen. It's I'm Halloween. It's Halloween. I'm a big fan of Halloween. I have
1: never participated in Halloween activities, but this year will be the first time. I take
0: Halloween off every year so I can go on an elaborate holiday with my friends. I'm not doing it this year. I will be on a holiday, but it's not you a Halloween-themed holiday. not
1: in Brisbane, and that's sad. No, I
0: can't go to your Halloween party. I'm devastated. No, no, I'm having a Halloween party. I would have dressed up as a sexy mouse.
1: I, I guess I can – no, I can't say because it's after Halloween, my party. So I can't say what I am – It's good. I know what it is. It's a good thing, except I think we're going to have to explain it to a lot of people.
0: I think they'll get it.
1: Fuck it. Who cares? Hello. Yay. Spooky. Spooky. I hope you're having a spooky day. Mm, Very spooky. Dealing with responsibilities and the undead. And other mysteries. Mysteries. Okay,
0: so Ellen has taken charge of this one because... Jess is assigning responsibility because we're not sure what the quality of this episode is going to end up being. (laughs) No. But you wrote it. I did. Yeah. So we shall get started. We shall get started.
1: Ellen, how is this going to work?
0: I am going to tell you a ghost story from every state and territory in Australia except for the Australian Capital Territory. Because boo Canberra. Nothing happens. Supernatural or otherwise, nothing has ever happened in Canberra. Except milkshakes. Apparently they've got good milkshakes down there. Well, they'd want to have something. Yeah. Cool. All right. Cool. So where are we starting? We're starting in Queensland. Duh! The best state in Australia. Busy. We are busy. not too busy to discuss our beloved home state. Beloved is potentially an exaggeration. Our home state that we are from. Um. So our first very spooky ghost story. As we all know, modern Australia started out as a penal colony and the tradition of harsh conditions for criminals lasted way beyond convict times. In Queensland, our primary institution of penal servitude was the Boggo Road Jail. Boggo Road. Very spooky, which Very opened spooky. in 1883. So the first cell block of Boggo Road Jail housed male prisoners, mainly those who were on remand or who were experiencing short sentences. In 1903, another cell block was opened to house female criminals and this wing became known as the Number 2 Division. In the 1920s, so sometime after this, Um, A number of male prisoners were transferred from the St. Helena Island prison in Moreton Bay to the now empty number two division because there was not enough women committing crimes, really. Good on you, women. Um, This section of the prison was now home to some of the, was home to those who were serving the longest sentences. So murderers, rapists and other violent offenders. Yay. In the 1960s, the number one division was demolished and a new prison was constructed around its perimeter. So the spot where number 1 Division had once stood was now used as an oval for recreational activities, and underneath the oval was the black hole, which was used for punishment. What? Yep. So up until the 1980s, the black holes were used, which were underground isolation cells used to confine unruly prisoners. They were unbelievably dark, musty, and damp, and the earlier variations of the cells had no ventilation. The cells had two doors 14 inches apart to prevent prisoners from escaping. When the prison was refurbished, it still used the black holes, though these ones had ventilation, and they continued to be used up until 1984, when they were closed due to public pressure. But in 1987, Queensland Premier Joe Bielke peterson reopened the cells to hold Aboriginal protesters the government believed would be a threat to the World Expo 88. Oh, my God, he was the worst. Expo 88 turned everybody in Brisbane Fucking shit insane. Mental. What about the world? Have you ever heard of a world expo apart from '88? The one where they invented the Ferris wheel and that guy murdered all those people in Boston. That's one World's Fair. Then this one, and I've never heard of any other world expo. Did anything ever happen? Do they still do the world expo? I don't know. Big deal it in Brisbane. for though. so long. I mean, South Bank was created for the expo.
1: And then South Bank became a ghost town.
0: Not literally. <laughs> no. Not in this Halloween episode. Oh, my
1: God. Okay, right. Yeah, that's the most horrific thing I've ever heard. So bad.
0: Um, So in the late 80s, inmates undertook hunger strikes, riots, and rooftop protests to protest the horrific conditions inside the jail. The cells had no toilets or running water. The food was inedible, inedible, bashings were frequent, and the prison was severely overcrowded. Prisoners had to urinate and defecate in cans and clean them out themselves. So, going inside Boggo Road Jail in the 80s was like stepping back a century in terms of prisoners' rights. The riots in the late 80s led to a government inquiry, and Boggo Road was shut down. While there are no longer any live prisoners in the remaining buildings of the jail, the place is still full of activity. So, one of the most notorious criminals to be contained within the jail was a man named Ernest Austin. Ernest was born in 1890 in Victoria and little is known about his early life except that he was sent to the Victorian neglected children's home around age 11 and was arrested for the attempted rape of a 12-year-old girl in September of 1909. He was convicted of that crime and served three years in Melbourne jail before heading on up to Queensland where he began working as a farm labourer for the Mitchell family of Cedar Creek Road in Samford. June 8, 1913, 11-year-old Ivy Mitchell (laughs) left the home of her friend Mary Frisch around dusk and never returned home to the Mitchell farm. Frantic, her brother James Mitchell Jr. alerted their father and they went off in search of Ivy. They went to the home of Mary Frisch where they were told that Ivy had left hours previously and they set out to follow the trail of footprints left in the dirt track by Ivy as she left the Frisch house. By lantern light, James Mitchell Jr. and James Mitchell Sr. followed the small footprints in the track for some time until a second pair of footprints appeared in the dirt alongside Ivy's. These prints were larger, much larger than Ivy's, the prints of a large man wearing boots. The smaller prints stopped suddenly, but the larger prints continued on, veering off into the bushland behind the town school, where the Mitchells discovered a path trampled down in the grass, like somebody had walked through it, dragging something heavy behind them. At the end of this trampled path, they found Ivy's body lying in a pool of blood, abandoned in the bush, her throat slit and her body ravished. A riding crop and hoof prints in the dirt indicated that the perpetrator had escaped by horse. Austin was ex- suspected immediately. His boots matched the print at the crime scene and, when called to look at Ivy's body, apparently Austin appeared cool and said, I don't know her, despite the fact that he'd worked on the family farm and he was known to go flower picking with Ivy. Austin was charged and brought to trial. Newspapers at the time commented on his callous attitude during court, saying that he was laughing and smiling during the trial. He appeared to have no remorse for the heinous crime he was charged with. The jury found Austin guilty, and he was sentenced to hang from the neck until dead. He was brought to Boggo Road Jail and hung on the 22nd of September 1913. He was the last person to be hung in Queensland. His last words were him crying to his mother, begging for forgiveness for his crime. Some No, nah, son. No, son. No forgiveness no for you. No forgiveness
1: for you, you piece of shit.
0: Some prisoners who witnessed the hanging described a crazed, evil laughter coming from Austin before he was hung. Other prisoners heard an otherworldly scream of despair that seemed to emerge from the gallows as Austin was dying. Prisoners said that they would hear Austin's laughter ricocheting around the jail long after his death. Austin's ghosts would walk through the walls of the cell block, wander around corridors and actually attack prisoners in their beds. Not busy. Prisoners and guards alike would warn new inmates to be cautious because, you see, Austin had made a deal with the devil. No,
1: he hadn't. No.
0: He did indeed. (laughs) The deal was that Austin would bring souls to the devil in exchange for being allowed to escape being sent to hell himself. He was allowed to remain in the prison, collecting souls as black as his own to deliver into eternal torment. It was said that the prisoners would awake to find Austin's hands around their throat, trying to strangle them. Right into the late 20th century, prisoners reported seeing Austin's ghost standing in A Wing where the gallows used to be. Of course, whether or not this was just a story, guards told to keep unruly prisoners in line depends on what you believe. One former guard has admitted that the tale was made up by guards to try and frighten prisoners, but there are far more accounts of both prisoners and guards having encounters with Austin. It seems like as a cautionary tale, Austin didn't work as the prisoners in the jail were unruly right up until the prison was closed down. Plus, when the reality of your living conditions were as bad as they were in Bogo Road, maybe hell seemed like a nicer alternative.
1: Oh, that's a nice bit of writing.
0: Thanks, I'm a professional. <laughs> if you're brave enough and if you're pretty confident you're going into heaven, you can have your own brush with Austin with Brisbane ghost tours who visit, visit Boggo Road Jail three times a week. Also, do you know Boggo Road closed down because the road is money and people used to get bogged down in there? What? That's why it's called Boggo. Because people would get bogged? Yeah. Fact. Some fun history facts for you guys.
1: <laughs> history
0: with Ellen on a murder podcast. Hooray! But lots of my episodes, they're quite history-based. Hooray! I'm, I'm the nerd of the show. I think that's pretty safe to... What am I? The less nerdy one. Right. <laughs> You're popular and have friends. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's true. You can't (laughs) deny it. Of the two of us, you are the popular, well-liked one, and I am the person that sits in their room writing about ghost stories. Anyway, we're moving on now to New South Wales. Um, So in New South Wales, we have a haunted house. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes,
1: yes, 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 yes,
0: yes. Called Monte Cristo Homestead. Of course. Oh! Yes, I know about this one. Everybody does. It is one of the most located. There's a cat ghost there, isn't there? Uh, a cat had something to do with a ghost there. I didn't read any stories about cat ghosts, but sure, there was a cat ghost.
1: <laughs> yes. Why not? Ghost, <laughs> wonder, ghost, 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 ghost. I should
0: say before going on, my criteria for inclusion in this episode was one long list of ghost or other paranormal Sightings, mm. like a long history, not just like one person saw one thing there one time. And the second was that it had, s- the place had something to do with a crime. So tr- still trying to keep it murders in the land of Oz-esque. Anyway, onto Monte Cristo Homestead, which is located in June in New South Wales. Um, it's in like the middle of nowhere, isn't it? It's basically in the middle. Well, it's a homestead. So yes. Um, it's been called the uh, most haunted house in Australia. It was built by Christopher William Crawley in 1885. Crawley made his money thanks to the fortuitous arrival of the Great Southern Railway to the region in 1878. He set up the railway hotel across from the station and began raking in the tourist dollars. Crawley was a deeply religious man who donated parcels of land to the Catholic Church and funded the construction of St. Joseph's Church in town. When it came time to build himself a grand house, he chose the name Monte Cristo, Mount of Christ, as a testament to his faith.
1: Oh, I didn't know that's what it meant.
0: It does indeed read Monte Cristo.
1: Right.
0: Um, what else did you think Cristo could mean? I don't know. The only, the only thing like
1: I know. Like the Count Monte- of Monte Cristo? Yeah.
0: Oh, you know what I'm thinking of? Monte Carlo's? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're my favourite bickies. Monte
0: Carlo homestead, the most haunted <laughs> homestead in Jess's house. I don't like Monte Carlo's. Why? I don't like biscuits or sweet things.
1: That's true. I keep forgetting these things. You don't know me very well.
0: Monte Cristo. Okay, we're back. We're
1: Monte back. Monte Cristo, Mount of Christ. There's a sandwich. Not a There's a Monte Cristo sandwich you can I've have. I've never eaten it. It's because it's
0: filled with meat. One of my least favourite things. One of your least favourite things. Okay, so the house is grand and sprawling, designed to be the finest in the region. It sat, as God would have had intended, high on a hill overlooking the town. As a lonely goat herd? <laughs> no, like how all Catholic things are built on top of hills so they're closer to God, Jess. Oh my God! Was that why our school and church was there? Yes, that's why every school and church is on top of a hill. What? No, seriously, you'll find a church or a Catholic school. It's on top of a hill. That's fucked up. There might be some in valleys, but those people aren't getting into heaven. (laughs) So the property was a working farm, and it contained stables which housed Mister Crawley's many racehorses. Um, The house played host to balls and other activities to amuse the rich folk, such as tennis and badminton. Oh. Love badminton. Vintage
1: badminton. I'm a badminton
0: fiend. Fucking um, balls, Monte Cristo. Right? I keep on thinking Monte Carlo now. (laughs) Crawley and his wife Elizabeth had seven children, one of whom was named Mervyn Marmaduke, which has no relevance to the story, but I just really wanted to say it. Hello, my name is Mervyn Marmaduke Crawley. Of Monte Cristo. Of Monte Cristo. Um, The Crawley children were essentially like the Von Trapps. They were all said to be very well-educated, charming, and musically talented. The three Crawley sisters were said to never leave the house without a parasol as to protect their pale skin from the Australian sun. Same. Same, but with sunscreen because it's (laughs) 2019. Um, Mrs. Crawley, the lady of the house, ruled with an iron fist. She would always wear a long black lace dress and a lace cap. While the Crawleys were admired in town as seen as the town's socialites, staff would complain about the harsh treatment they received from Mrs. Crawley. When Mr. Crawley died in 1910, Mrs. Crawley became a recluse, leaving the house on only two occasions until her own death in 1933. You're joking. It has been said that part of why Mrs. Crawley hid from the world was that she was possibly part Indigenous and that she was only treated with respect when Mr. Crawley was around. With him gone, there was no one to protect her from the attitudes of the townspeople. Also, she was a bitch and nobody liked her. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Crawley were not the only people to die at Monte Cristo. A maid was carrying one of the Crawley's infant children down the staircase when the baby fell from the maid's arms. Sadly, the baby died and the maid claimed that something had pulled the child from her arms. Another young maid, who local gossip said was pregnant with Mr. Crawley's child, fell from the second floor balcony to her death. A young stable boy was ill one day and was sleeping in the stables with the horses and carriages. His boss, believing he was faking sick, set fire to the boy's straw mattress. The stable boy was actually so sick that he couldn't even stand to run away and save his own life, and he burned to death.
1: Oh, my. Mm-hmm.
0: When the last of the Crowley children moved out of the homestead in 1944, the house was looked after by a series of caretakers. The mentally disabled son of a caretaker was said to have been chained to a wall in the caretaker's cottage for 40 years. He would howl and scream and the neighborhood children attributed his yelling to ghosts. Oh my God, that is the most horrible, awful thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Sometime after his mother died, some of the townspeople went up to the homestead and found the man still chained to the wall, half starved to death with no food or water. He was sent to an insane asylum where he died shortly after. Jess is having a crisis. <laughs> Pretty rough. 1940s though, that's what they did.
1: Oh, it's fucking awful. In
0: 1961, a local boy who had allegedly watched the film Psycho three times that day went up to the homestead and shot the current caretaker dead. The boy wrote, die, jack, die on the side of the dairy, which apparently can still be seen to this day. Shut up. No, this is a podcast. I have to talk. Hey, what, what? I've never seen Psycho, so I don't know if that's like a copycat killing or something.
1: The uh, The only meeting I've had with Psycho is on the Universal tour in Los Angeles when you're on the bus thing and they drive past like the Bates Motel and then the Bates guy, like, stands out and looks at you. And I decided from that moment how creeped out I was at some actor in Los Angeles who's probably like, thank God I got a job at Universal. I was like, I am never going to watch Psycho.
0: Yeah, I have no interest in it because I hate movies from the past. (laughs) I hate black and white movies and I hate old-timey acting. (laughs) Why? Because it's bad.
1: Oh, you're so full of it. I only watch
0: (laughs) things that I like. So sue me. (laughs) Sorry for not suffering through shit because Um, people think I should. By the way, A Star is Born with Judy Garland is not in black and white. That's not why I don't want to watch that. Why don't you want to watch it then? Because I'd rather watch the version with Lady Gaga, who I love. Fuck. Nah, busy. Anyway, die, jack, die. Die, jack, die. Um, That can still be seen to this day. Allegedly. I've not been there. We need to go there. Absolutely. 106%. I will be there one day. So for years after the Crawley family moved out, the house lay in disrepair until Red Ryan and his wife Olive bought the place in nineteen sixty three. Olive. I know I love that name. I was literally just thinking the same thing. Unsurprisingly, following the series of tragic deaths that occurred in the house, the Ryans soon found out that the place was haunted as fuck. The supernatural occurrences began almost immediately as they drove up the driveway one night, lo- not long after buying the place, to see that all the lights were still on, despite the fact that the house didn't have any electricity hooked up to it yet. <gasps> what? The lights suddenly extinguished when the car got close to the house.
1: <gasps> no. Yes. No. 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 <laughs> Move out, run away, run away from the house with the lights, with no electricity.
0: The Ryans did not move out. No, um, when the Ryans moved their pets in a dog and a cat, they refused to enter the house and they both ran away, never to be seen again. So, no cat ghost, but also no cat. Oh, um, no, when the poor kitty, he's subsequent like, fuck this, he's, shit, like, fuck fuck it. he's like, um, you white idiots, this place is haunted, haunted AF. Goodbye. And ghosts, I mean, not ghosts, cats can see ghosts. Toothy. Toothy can see, all cats can see ghosts. When your cat is staring off into nothing really intensely, you know what they would be looking at, it's a ghost. (laughs) So subsequent pets have stayed on the homestead but have refused to enter the house. Chickens have been found strangled in their coops and the family parrot was choked to death in its cage. And allegedly these animal mutilations have been attributed to the ghost of the housekeeper's son who was kept chained up. Um, The Ryan children would complain about a man dressed in farmer's clothes looking through their window at night, but their bed was on the second floor and there's no balcony outside their room.
1: Busy. Oh, my God. So busy to be living in the Monte Cristo place. No, no. That's bad. Second floor, someone looking in your window. Fuck that. I would never sleep again. Never. I would never, ever, ever sleep again. Never, ever. You would have to hit me over the head with a shovel. every night no way it's not very healthy no way Uh uh-uh busy busy
0: so busy no uh piano music was heard from an upstairs room despite the fact that there was no piano in the house
1: oh no not ghost (laughs) instruments
0: no no we have like seven more haunted places to get through you can't respond like this to every single haunting so creeped out okay yeah keep going i had to research this i had to turn every single light in my entire house on to go to the bathroom as i said last episode i've just been like sitting in my room with like small knives waiting for ghosts to come and get me researching this um just kidding i'm a serious researcher this doesn't scare me at all Footsteps on the stairs, feeling hands on your shoulder or hearing your name being called out when nobody else was there was commonplace. Despite these supernatural occurrences, which the Ryans described as like having another family living in the house with them.
1: No! They did
0: love the house, which they painstakingly restored to its former glory and opened as a bed and breakfast. The property is now run by their son, Lawrence. So the main ghost of the house um, appears to be Mrs. Crawley, who has been seen in the converted chapel room where she spent much of her 23 years of widowed life. Sophia Ryan, who was Lawrence Ryan's wife, claimed that she had discovered that she had a past life as one of the maids in the original household. She has seen and felt Mrs Crawley's presence on a number of occasions, presumably trying to boss her around. Um, As well as operating as a B&B, the house runs ghost tours and visitors to the house have reported feeling their hands and faces being touched, as well as reporting a particularly intense feeling of unease by the staircase. Apparently, children have started spontaneously crying and have even suffered from asthma attacks by the staircase, which is the location where the baby was killed after falling or being pushed down the stairs. Visitors have also seen Mrs Crawley dressed in her widow's clothes, walking around the house and weeping. Visitors have also collected a very large number of photographs which um, show ghostly apparitions, which you can find online. But the most terrifying picture to do with Monte Cristo Homestead is actually the official portrait of Mrs. Crawley, which I will show to you now, Jess. Oh, God. <laughs> no. It's the worst thing I've ever oh, seen. my God. Oh, that's got to go on the Facebook. We'll put it on the Facebook. Is and that a you, painting? It's a painting, just by somebody that's never painted before, apparently. Oh, my well, the God. the worst part is, the worst part is, do you want to see what you look like in real life? Like that. Oh, no, your oh, screen's gone <laughs> blank. Oh, Thank that God. creeped me out. Oh, You look at that painting and you're like, that's horrific. No human being could look like that. She did. She
1: fucking looks like that.
0: Terrifying. If that ghost was waiting at the end of your bed, instant die. I would die on the spot. No, sorry to Mrs. Crawley. It's not nice to make fun of somebody's appearances, but she was a spooky looking lady.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. We'll,
0: I'm so creepy. It'll out, be mate. on the Facebook and you guys can, can <sighs> know. <laughs> nah, Busy. Oh, yuck. Very busy. Um, surprisingly, I didn't read any reports of ghost sightings of the caretaker who was murdered in 1961, but I would probably wager he's still there <laughs> waiting to exact revenge on people who get too into horror movies. Um, you can go to Monte Cristo Homestead for a ghost tour and sleepover and cross your fingers that you don't wind up in the haunted room, which is a room which was the location of the death of a woman who died in childbirth. So when you go to Monte Cristo Homestead and they assign you your rooms, Lawrence Ryan's like, one of these rooms is haunted. I'm not going to tell you which. And then you get told in the morning which room is the haunted room. I mean, all of it's haunted, obviously, but one of them had a person literally die in there. And you can sleep in that room. I
1: want my honeymoon to be at
0: Monte Cristo. We have such deep psychological issues.
1: (laughs) I want to go there on my honeymoon. I'm not getting married or anything, but... I want to go there so bad. you probably never get married also, if anybody hears this. I also never want to go there in a million and billion years, but oh, my God. I would
0: love to sleep over there, but also, like, somebody would need to give me some sort of bravery injection because I <laughs> I would just lie there. Can
1: you imagine the both of us, like, in bed going like,
0: <gasps> I would have a mental breakdown. I would have a full-on mental breakdown. Um, I would have to go there at, like, 11 a.m. in the morning. Like just oh, yeah, during th- the day, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, you can read a lot more about the non-supernatural history of the house online. Um, And if you're thinking about doing a ghost tour, I would recommend reading the reviews because they're patchy. Um, what do you mean? Some people have a lot of fun. Other people do not. Oh. So, yes, most haunted house in Australia, Junie, New South Wales. Who knew? Go there at your own risk, folks.
1: And Mrs. Crawley will get
0: you. She'll get you. She'll get you big time. Alrighty. So our next location is in Victoria, and it is the Beechworth Asylum. All asylums are haunted. No exceptions. Correct. Like asylums are just haunted. There's nothing you can do about it. Doesn't matter if you believe in ghosts or not. Asylums are haunted. There is a reason that every single horror movie takes place in an asylum because they are haunted. Um, and Beechworth Asylum in Victoria is also haunted. (laughs) So it was constructed in 1867. It was later renamed the Mayday Hills Mental Hospital. Um, and it was in use for 128 years, only closing in 1995. Fuck off. We were two years old. We were alive. Um, the hospital could accommodate around 1,200 patients at any one time, Ugh. and over 9,000 people in total stayed in the hospital throughout its lifetime. Around 3,000 people never made it out of the asylum alive. Ugh. The asylum was self-sufficient with 100 acres of farmland in its surrounding area, and the vegetable garden provided enough food for the asylum's patients and staff, as well as the Beechworth Jail and the Beechworth Benevolent Asylum for aged care. My favourite thing about the Beechworth Benevolent Asylum for a- aged care, kind of implies that the other asylum was the malevolent asylum for the care of mental patients. You don't need the word benevolent. <laughs> <laughs> that makes everything else more spooky, that you have to <laughs> specify that it's a benevolent asylum. It's like, well, we hope you're taking care of these people. I hope so. They weren't, spoilers. Um. Um, so a particularly interesting feature of the asylum was something called a ha-ha wall. You know oh. it's bad from the name. Oh. So if you're a person who is standing outside the asylum, you would see like quite a low wall like looking in. So it do, it didn't look like the place had very high walls. But if you're standing inside the asylum, you'll notice that the grounds run down into deep ditches and then the walls like rise up from the ditches. So outside you look at a low wall, but when you're inside the walls are actually inclimbably high because of the ditches that surround the entire property, so obviously they were made so people couldn't climb out: I'm so creeped out right. There. It's very creepy. I'm so scared. So the asylum treated patients with any number of ailments, from conventional health issues like depression, epilepsy, and dementia, to good old-fashioned asylum stuff like hysteria, opium <coughs> addiction, prostitution, and religious mania. Oh no. Young people who disobeyed their parents could land a stint in the asylum, as could criminal children. One incredibly sad story is of an 11-year-old boy who was confined to the asylum for stealing a horse. He remained in the asylum until he died at age 84. Uh, the treatment for most of the asylum's ailments at the asylum was restraint through the use of straitjackets. <gasps> and if a pat- patient was particularly active, they could be placed in an isolation box, which is essentially a very, very small box-like room that a patient could be placed in and be unable to move. It was incredibly easy to end up committed. All that was needed in the early days of the asylum was two people to sign a document saying that the person was crazy and needed to be committed.
1: Like any person or like a doctor. Just two people. Fuck.
0: So I'd f- be in there. For example. I'd be in there 100%. I'd sign that document. <laughs> <laughs> and Zane. And Zane and Fifi. She'd co-sign it. She'd put I'd a little be in paw there print so on that. Fast. Um, so, for example, a husband who was sick of his wife could ask <gasps> one of his mates to sign a document no! saying she was crazy, and she could be admitted to the hospital. Fuck it ugh. took eight signatures for mental health professionals for a person to be released from the asylum. You're in there forever. You, like fuck off. Yep. Like you steal a horse. You're there till you're 84. That's not even a crazy thing to do. <laughs> So the asylum had a number of different wings for its different categories of patients, including the children's wing and a young adult wing called the bullpen, allegedly so named as aggressive young men were kept in there and were at times forced to fight. So all horror movie insane asylums have the even more crazy person's wing and that wing at Beechworth was called the Gravelia wing. So the Gravelia wing was for extreme cases, your shackles, your padded cells and your electroshock therapy patients. Self-harming patients here were made to wear leather mittens, and if they tried to chew them off, they had their teeth pulled out. So on to the ghosts. The resident ghost of the asylum is a lady named Matron Sharp, and she breaks horror movie asylum ghost stereotypes, as she was apparently very kind. She spent the majority of her entire life working at the asylum, and she demonstrated uncharacteristic for the time levels of compassion for the patients, When patients would go in for electroshock therapy, Matron Sharp would sit on the end of their beds and comfort them.
1: Oh, why
0: isn't she in
1: heaven? Why is she stuck in ghost town? I'm
0: about to say. Matron Sharp has been seen many times wandering around the asylum in her nurse's uniform, presumably to take care of the patients who also remained in the asylum after death.
1: Oh, that's the nicest ghost thing I've ever heard. It's a very nice
0: ghost thing. Um, Another presence that is often felt is that of a man named Tommy Kennedy, who was a well-liked patient who had a cushy job as a kitchen hand at the asylum. He allegedly was murdered in the kitchens, and he still lingers on there, even though the kitchen has now been converted into a theatre. His ghost has been seen there, and the theatre patrons have reported feeling somebody tugging at their clothing or poking them in the ribs.
1: I don't know, what, it's a theatre?
0: Yeah. The whole property has been renovated a whole bunch of times. So that area where the kitchens used to be, that building was demolished, and a quite popular theatre in Melbourne the name of which I can't pronounce. Um, what is it? It's like Bijou Theatre or something like that. Bi- That's it. Bijou. Haha, I can pronounce it. Take that, people who comment on my pronunciation. Um, so people also have heard kitchen sounds like voices and the clattering of pots and pans, even though the area has not been a kitchen for a very long time. Um, in his life, Tommy Kennedy also helped transport deceased patients from the hospital onto the quote-unquote meat wagon. Bodies were held in a basement area of the building, essentially to be processed. Patients were laid to rest in unmarked graves in Beechworth Cemetery, and some were taken to the University of Melbourne School of Anatomy to be used for dissection, although most of the articles written about Beechworth say they were used for experiments, which is not true. I also found one absolutely crackpot insane story that said that the bodies that were kept in the basement were used for um, satanic rituals and human sacrifice. I couldn't really find any information to back that up, but... Let's hope not. Let's hope not. It's ghost research. It's not exactly Um, (laughs) peer-reviewed. I'm going to keep going. So death was a constant in Beachworth Asylum, so much so that sometimes people would die while out on the expansive grounds and would not be found for some time. One story goes that a patient's death went entirely unnoticed until a resident dog was seen chewing on a human leg bone. The owner of the dog was found sitting up in a tree so badly decomposed that his limbs had begun falling off. The ghost of this one-legged man has reportedly been seen near where his body was found. Now the most famous resident of Beechworth was a man named Jay Kelly. One of the patient's rooms to this day you can read his name etched in the window. Jay Kelly's full name was James Kelly and he was the uncle of Ned Kelly.
1: Oh, my God. You know
0: how I feel about Ned Kelly. You love Ned Kelly. I love (laughs) Ned Kelly. James was sent to Beechworth after burning down his sister-in-law's house where where little Ned was residing at the time. Nobody died, but James was sentenced to 15 years hard labour, and as such he was sent to Beechworth not as a patient but as a labourer to build the hospital. After he served his time, it was said that his mind was broken and he ended up staying in the hospital that he helped build up until his death in 1903. Dope. (laughs) historically dope not great for James personally but a very interesting fact so another ghost that scene was that of a young female patient who was thrown out of a third floor window after having an argument with another patient over some cigarettes the story goes that as the woman was Jewish the asylum needed to wait until a rabbi could see her body and so she was left where she fell for two days until a rabbi could come up from the city She has been seen in the grounds near where her body fell multiple times, so clearly the rabbi didn't do whatever it was meant to do to send her to Jewish heaven. (laughs) So all these ghost stories are great, but how about some hard evidence? Well, there is some, and I will show it to you now. Renowned Aussie ghost hunter captured a photo that went viral online in January of 2015 of a little girl kneeling half hidden behind old hospital equipment in the Gravelia wing of the assignment. Look at it now. This will also be on the Facebook for you to peruse. In fact, peruse it right now and you can experience Jess's reactions in real time. Oh, my
1: fucking God. It's a ghost, right? Like it's not there and then she's there. She's there.
0: So those photos were taken seconds apart. So you can see nothing and then you see, I think it's a pretty clear outline of a ghost. Zane nodded his head. It's a ghost. Confirmed. Ghosts are real. Oh, that is so creepy. It's so creepy. Mm-hmm. And the, that she was found in the Gravelia wing, the creepiest wing. No. It's a no from me. It's such a no.
1: It's a hard no from it's me. It's a hard
0: no from me. Um, so that is Beechworth Asylum. Very Ooh. spooky. Um the the Grounds and the building and everything has been used lots of times. I think it was purchased by La Trobe University and it was used as like school rooms and then they stopped using them probably because they were haunted. And there are a bunch of other things in that place now. Still haunted as fuck though. Alrighty, next state, again skipping over the ACT because fuck the ACT. <laughs> um, we're moving on to Tasmania, the second best state in Australia. So without question, what I personally believe to be the most haunted place in Australia is Port Arthur.
1: Mm.
0: So Port Arthur is a prison and it is the most intact site of Australia's convict history. You can wander the cells where many of our forefathers were held and tour around the little town that was built up around the jails. Port Arthur is freaky as fuck during the daytime. Uh, You like I've been there. It's so hard to describe why a place like you can just feel what happened. Like when you stand in like a cell or something like that, that somebody like lived their entire life in and was tortured in, like you can feel that even if you don't believe in ghosts, like there is something about being in a place like that, that it's just like humans connecting to you from like a hundred years previously and being like, I suffered here and you're going to appreciate that. You can feel it big time in Port Arthur. And I, I have also done the Port Arthur ghost tour and let me tell ya. I was shitting my pants the entire time. (laughs) It was two and a half years of me shitting my pants. Years? Hours. It only went for two two and a half half hours. But it's haunted me for more than two and a half years. Uh, Um, I tried not to cry the entire time. I was like, you can't cry. Everybody thinks you're going to be a little girl. I was 15, so I was a little girl. You were a little girl. It was so scary. Um, I didn't see any ghosts personally, but I did have a paranormal experience, which I will share with you now. So as part of the ghost tour, you go in down into a basement, which was the doctor's rooms where they did surgery. So there's a big um, stone surgical table in the middle of the room. And the whole room is like very slightly like concave. So fluids could like drip down into the drain. Very gross, very freaky. The way your eyes glittered
1: when you said that, you fucking (laughs) lunatic. (laughs) Honestly, I am so scared right now. I'm sorry. You wanted to have your honeymoon at
0: Monte Cristo. As a joke, I would never do that. I have my passions and interests. Fucking hell. (laughs) Right, yeah. Anyway, back into it. I am realising that I'm getting a little enthusiastic, but I love ghosts. Anyway. So you stand in there and you're watching the tour operator who's telling you like, oh, doctors, murders, blah, 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 surgery. And I'm like, ugh, fainting anyway. (laughs) Um, And they have these, like they're not even windows. They're like one brick deep, like missing from like the top parts of the room to allow light to come in right. And it's just moonlight. There's no like electric light in the place at all when you do the ghost tours. Anyway, so we're standing in there and she's giving her talk and then – like as if somebody was walking past the windows, like they went black, like the light stopped filtering in, like across the back of it, like somebody was walking past. And so because of how we were situated, like we're all in like a U shape around the person that was speaking. So only the people standing at like the back section could see these windows. And we all were like, (laughs) and everybody else on the sides was like, what's going on? And we were like, go, 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 go. And I am so sure, like, we we would like, are there security guards? Like, do people wander? And they're like, yeah, there were security guards. But, like, there was, like, a little garden area outside where the windows were. So the security guards wouldn't have been walking in the garden so they could walk past the windows and, like, shut off the light. You know what I mean? (laughs) Anyway, it was a ghost. (laughs) I don't believe in ghosts, I don't
1: believe in ghosts, I don't believe in ghosts, I don't believe in ghosts, I don't believe in ghosts. I'm never going to sleep ever again. I'm so
0: scared, I'm so scared, I'm so scared. <sighs> Already, a little bit of history of Port Arthur. <laughs> Port Arthur began its life as a timber station but was pretty quickly transformed into a penitentiary. Port Arthur was used for secondary offenders, which were those who had been transported to Australia and then reoffended while in the colony, as well as containing difficult prisoners from other penal settlements in Australia. The site consists of a penitentiary for your more minimum security offenders, an asylum, the separate prison which I will get into in a second, a hospital, a police station, a law court, a church, and a number of residences for the doctor, civil officers who worked at the prison, the controller of the prison, the prison guards, etc, etc. So Port Arthur was considered a model prison, that is it modeled its systems on the enlightened criminological theories of the time. The bright jewel in the prison system was the separate prison which was based on the idea of the panopticon, which is like first week of criminological studies thing where like the ideal prison is essentially like a round room with a central guard tower. So the prisoners Feel like they're being watched at all times, but also never know when they're not being watched. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, obviously, you can't all be watched at all times, but it's like a psychological thing. So the separate prison was a cross shape, as in like a Christian cross shape, not like an X shape, um, with exercise yards at each end and a surveillance center and a chapel in the center. Um, The separate prison was based on the idea that at the time that physical punishment did nothing to rehabilitate offenders and it just made them tougher, which is true, and that psychological punishment was the way to go, which was not true. (laughs) Basically, the thought behind it was completely isolate or keep separate the prisoners from everything in the world and they will somehow feel bad for their crimes. But the reality was there was nothing enlightened about the separate prison. Prisoners in the separate prison were denied food as punishment. They were forced to stay completely silent at all times so as to reflect upon their actions. But it actually just drove them crazy as they couldn't hear anything but silence for long periods of time. They were made to wear these terrifying leather hoods whenever they are outside the no, cells. No, don't show me, don't show
1: me, don't show me. I don't so want to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. No, I'm not looking. I'm you not looking.
0: You have to look. I'm not it's looking. history. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. Zane, you look I'll at it. I'll never
1: sleep again. I'll never sleep again.
0: It's so horrifying to the point where, like, whatever you're picturing, make it four times worse.
1: <laughs> I don't want to know.
0: Um,. Yeah, so they had to wear these leather hoods outside at all times so they couldn't hear or speak to other prisoners. The cells were tiny and had incredibly thick walls and doors so that convicts could not hear anything from outside. Um, They were kept in the cells for 23 hours a day, only coming out for exercise in the chapel. At the chapel, they were placed in individual partitions so they could not see the person next to them. The guards patrolled the corridors in slippers and used sign language to communicate to each other.
1: This is a fucking horror
0: movie. This sounds horrible. This is why it's in the Halloween episode. Oh, I'm so scared. I'm so, so scared. With all that in mind, it is no wonder that people went absolutely crazy and many committed suicide. Luckily, the asylum was right next door. The conditions there were about what you would expect for a prison asylum. A novelist who visited Port Port Arthur in 1874 said of the patients that some lent listlessly against the walls, some raved in locked cells. The criminal lunatics were of but two dispositions. They cowered and crawled like whip foxhounds or they raged, howling blasphemous and hideous threats and insults upon their jailers. So they were crazy. Um... When they weren't chained to their iron beds or locked in cells, patients were often left to wander around aimlessly, a danger to themselves and others. The prison officials boasted that Port Arthur was at the cutting edge both in the handling of their prisoners and their lunatics, but the reality was that the inmates at Port Arthur were essentially tortured. And that's not even mentioning all the hard labour that the inmates in the penitentiary had to do. Port Arthur was eventually closed in 1877 and a fire destroyed many of the original buildings in 1895, but much has been restored and now it is a thriving tourist site. So now that you've got a taste for life at Port Arthur, let's move on to death. To begin with, Port Arthur had its own island cemetery called the Isle of the Dead, where dead convicts were buried in unmarked mass graves. And nothing says my restless soul is going to wander the earth for eternity like an unmarked mass grave. Just under 2,000 people in all were buried on the island, not just convicts but officers, women and children. One live person worked on the island, a man named Baron, the gravedigger. Some graves have headstones with crude epitaphs engraved in stone. In an article from 1888, a man who visited the island repeats one epitaph that is inscribed with a verse from the Bible that reads, he has died in the place whither they have led him captive, which I thought was the most depressing thing that I have ever read. Mm, correct. The dead don't just confine themselves to the island, though. Port Arthur has allegedly experienced over 2,000 accounts of unexplained ph- phenomena. <laughs> 2,000. And the Gothic church, which was built by convicts, was the site of a horrific murder. One day during construction, William Riley, one of the labourers, seemed to snap, killing fellow convict Joseph Shuttleworth with three blows to the head with a pickaxe while they were working. He was restrained by prison guards, dropped the pickaxe, pickaxe looked down at Shuttleworth's body and said, I am satisfied. (laughs) (laughs) Riley was tried for the crime and was sentenced to death. The motive for the murder is unknown, whether Riley was settling a school with Shuttleworth or perhaps he was one of the many convicts who committed murder in order to be sentenced to death, which was seen as the only way off the settlement. As well as playing host to a murder, the church is the scene of one of the most famous Port Arthur ghosts, the Blue Lady. The blue lady wanders the grounds of Port Arthur and has been seen on a number of occasions. She is a young woman wearing a long blue crinoline dress and it is said that she is the wife of an accountant who worked in the settlement and that she and her baby both died in childbirth. It is said that she wanders the grounds looking for her lost infant. The most active location is the Reverend's house. One night, Reverend George Eastman was called to the aid of a dying convict and he rushed out in bad weather. He fell ill and died in bed two days later. When the next reverend, Reverend Hayward, moved in, his wife and children started to hear strange noises at night. They would hear chairs moving around as well as footsteps. Mrs Hayward was not convinced that anything paranormal was going on and she laid a trap for the ghosts. She tied threads across the staircase and stayed awake, waiting to hear any noises, but she heard nothing. Finally, she went to bed and then she heard movement downstairs. Every piece of string on the staircase had snapped, but the Haywards didn't see anyone. They just felt a breath of hot air and heard footsteps descending down the empty staircase. The Haywoods left Port Arthur a short time later. Smart. Very smart. One builder who was working on the restoration of the building some years later reported that he felt a heavy weight on his chest while sleeping in the house one night because they just decided to sleep in the haunted house while they were restoring it. And when he opened his eyes, he saw a man with a beard who told him to leave the house and to never return. It is believed that this is the ghost of Reverend Eastman. The ghost, what beef you got, Reverend Eastman? He was like, I died before my time and now some bitch is moving into my house. <laughs> Busy, doll. Move on. Well, he can't. He's trapped to the mortal realm. He can't. That's what ghosts are.
1: <laughs> it's not real. It's not real. It's not real. It's it not is real. real. It's not real. It's not real. So the ghost of
0: William Carter, an inmate who committed suicide, has been seen many times in the hallways of the separate prison. People have reported feeling overwhelming feelings of anxiety and depression when entering his cell. Visitors have run out of the room or collapsed and one person was found lying in the fetal position crying unable to move and had to be carried out of the cell. People have also seen apparitions of the inmates wearing their horrific masks in the chapel area as well. I think that because the prisoners had to be silent at all times a lot of the things in the separate prison you don't really hear noises. you kind of more Feel presences and everything like that. Visitors have felt their hands being brushed or suddenly felt the air turn cold. One visitor, as reported by a ghost tour guide, allegedly clasped their throat suddenly. And when the guide asked what was wrong, the visitor removed their hand to reveal four red scratches across their throat, which had suddenly appeared.
1: It's not real. 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 Jess, I went there. It's It's
0: haunted. (sighs) This is first-hand account. It's haunted AF. It's so haunted. I'm
1: so scared. I'm not going to sleep tonight and I really need to sleep tonight.
0: Sorry. Keep the lamp on. Um, so you can do a ghost tour of Port Arthur, obviously, which I highly recommend. And you can also do a paranormal investigation experience where you get to go with like EVPs and stuff like that and record stuff. No. Dope. Buzzfeed unsolved. IRL. <laughs> <laughs> Don't
1: do it. Don't do it. You're dead.
0: You've gone from being like incredibly enthusiastic about this episode to suffering greatly. It's spooky shit. I'm so scared. We, Next we quick. still got like four more states. <laughs> what do you mean four more? Three more. There's three more states. Um Alrighty, so we've been to we're in South Australia now. We've been to. Fuck! I forgot about South Australia. I was like, "What are you talking about? It's just Western Australia and Northern Territory left." Come on. Hey, just because South Australia is boring, nothing happens there, doesn't mean that it's not haunted. Mm. So, um, I actually have some trivia about South
1: Australia to make myself feel better. It's one of the only places that wasn't settled by
0: convicts. Great, it's still haunted. Uh, so we've been to haunted prisons, asylums and houses, and now we're going on to an Aussie classic, the Haunted Pub. Yes! I'm up for this. I'm up for this. This has got to be a happy time. It's less terrifying than the other ones, I have to say. Okay. So the North Kapunda Hotel was opened in 1849 as the North Kapunda Arms before being bought by James Crace in 1856 and renamed the North Kapunda Hotel. Kapunda is a small town. Kapunda, Kapunda, Kapunda. What a fun word to say. Um, It's a small town near the Barossa Valley in South Australia. A former copper mining town, Kapunda has the reputation of being the most haunted town in Australia. A film cleverly named The Most Haunted Town in Australia was made in 2001 that documented the town's haunted past, including the Hotel, St. John's Cemetery and the Reformatory. The Reformatory began in 1897 as a school for troubled Catholic girls, much like ourselves. The isolation of the property combined with the bad attitudes of the students proved to be a bad mix and reports were soon surfacing about stories of mistreatment and abuse. There were accusations that the resident chaplain, Reverend Martin, was mistreating the girls. An 18-year-old girl named Ruby Bland died in hospital and her death certificate stated that she died from complications from a gallstone operation. Abortion. But the rumors quickly went around that she had actually died from a botched abortion given to her by the Reverend who had allegedly raped her. The reformatory was closed a few days after Ruby's death. The sisters and the other students left the reformatory, but the Reverend was left there until he died many years later. The ghosts of Ruby Bland and Reverend Martin were said to haunt the reformatory and the surrounding cemetery, Ruby allegedly looking for her lost child. Mm. However, the reformatory building, which had been left up in ruins till this point, was torn down after the most haunted town in Australia documentary came out. The locals were not happy with the paranormal publicity brought to their town. The ghosts of Ruby and the Reverend are still seen wandering the cemetery, however, proving that it takes a bit more than just tearing down a building to get rid of a ghost. So the North Capunda Hotel itself is a large building with the pub area on the ground level, underground rooms and the first floor, which was used as accommodation and for businesses. The hotel was also a notorious brothel, frequently visited by the population, which mostly consisted of male miners. They were allegedly tunnels constructed from the brothel to the miners' quarters so miners could come and go to the brothel without having to walk through town. Mm. So the ghosts of two young girls haunt the accommodation rooms. One girl named Emily is often seen sitting on the windowsill overlooking the pub's courtyard. Emily never moves from the upper levels of the building for reasons I will explain later. The other girl is Sarah, who is seven years old and allegedly the daughter of a prostitute who was murdered in the rooms after being strangled to death. I've read conflicting reports, but Sarah is said to have died herself after falling or being pushed from the pub balcony. So some places say that she was pushed and other places say that she was murdered as well. Um, so her room is still intact and she communicates quite frequently with visitors and she is very particular um, if you interact with the objects in the room. She likes them to be treated a certain way. Um, another ghost in the hotel which is seemed, to a doctor named Dr. Matthew Blood. Dope name for a ghost doctor. <laughs> Dr. Blood was a general practitioner who operated from the rooms of the hotel. Dr. Blood was a well-liked member of the Kapunda community in life. And although there are rumors online that he conducted some ill-fated experiments on patients, I think that it is far more likely after doing research that he returned to the rooms after death, possibly to in order to continue treating patients. So some places were like, this man was not a nice man. But all the like historical record that I read said that he was quite popular and actually the town loved him very much. So I don't, you know, you don't have to be evil to be a ghost. You can be a ghost and be good. I think he was a good ghost. Um, Perhaps Dr. Blood helped out when the Kapunda Hotel was used to temporarily store the bodies of 32 miners who died in a horrific mining accident nearby. You can still see the racks where their bodies were placed today. Um, I did a lot of research on this place and I couldn't find any information about this mining accident but I've seen photos of the body racks so I don't really know what the truth is there but I did email paranormal investigator and local historian Alan Tiller to ask him (laughs) (laughs) oh my god and he did not reply (laughs) oh god I was so excited but it was only a couple of days ago so I I hold out hope Facebook said that he usually replies within a few hours It's been a couple days, but I I have faith that he'll reply. Were you like, hello, my name is Ellen. I'm a host. I didn't say that I was the host of a podcast because I didn't want him to think that I was making him do research for me, even though that is indeed what I was doing. But he's written very, very comprehensive articles about the history of Kapunda. And I feel like if anybody would know if there was a real mining accident, if their bodies were actually stored in the pub, it would be him. What's his name? Alan Tiller. Mr. Tiller, can you please get in contact with us and let us know? I'm going to bring him up again later in the podcast too. Um, So one of the most famous spirits is known as the man in black. So it's said that Emily from before remains in the upstairs of the hotel to keep away from the man in black, who is a malevolent spirit who is said to be particularly hostile towards women. Shocking that a ghost that haunts a brothel would have negative attitudes towards women. I also heard that. (laughs) Now. There was a that was a banging noise from outside. Also, like today is the best day to be recording this Halloween episode because it is literally a dark and stormy night. It's been storming all day. It's quite atmospheric I'm and so slightly scared. scary. I'm so um scared. and some people have said that the man in black is possibly the man who murdered Sarah's mother. Um people have been touched and even pushed by the man in black and have been told to get out of the hotel. The hotel was the subject of an episode of Haunting Australia which features Alan Teller And one of the paranormal investigators on that show felt very strongly that there was a man there who had strangled a woman to death, which tracks with the like story of the prostitute who was strangled. Felt it, like you know how you feel. Like he was like, oh, I, I'm. It was a girl actually. She was like, oh, I'm in the room and I'm getting the sense that there is a man here, a man with a violent history. I think this man. It's a bullshit. It's paranormal investigation. What are they supposed to do? Um, you can watch the episode of Haunting Australia, which is very good. Um, one of the crew members gets possessed by a ghost, and it is scary. Um, you can also to- do a ghost tour here, obviously, because it is the most haunted town in Australia. S- S- Moving on to Western Australia,
1: there's only two left, yay! <laughs> so my heart is racing. My heart
0: is racing. <sighs> I'm glad this is scaring you. I worry I was worried that this would be incredibly boring. No, I'm scared. So <laughs> Great, I'm thrilled. This is the response I wanted. Um, little bit of backstory, personal backstory for this one. Uh I come from a maritime family. My dad is a boat builder. We have lots of boat stuff in our history. And me and my family became obsessed with a shipwreck. Batavia! No. Um, it happened off the coast of the Sunshine Coast, the coast of the Sunshine Coast. I'm a professional. Um, and they were saying like, oh, there's this ship that we have reports of crashing. We need to find it. And my family and I got so obsessed with the hunt for this shipwreck, which they eventually found. And I've been obsessed with shipwreck stories ever since. So in Western Australia, we are going to tell the story of a haunted shipwreck. Batavia. It's not the Batavia. It's a different haunted shipwreck. Oh. Okay, so the skeletal remains of the Alchemos, which was a wo- World War II-era oh, cargo a f- ship.
1: fucking creepy name for a ship. That's a, a fucking... No. No. Lies
0: no. <laughs> Lies riding off the coast of Western Australia, around 40 kilometres north of Perth. The ship began its life as the George M. Shriver, built at the Bethlehem Fairfield shipyards in Baltimore. Good morning, Baltimore. The ship was known <laughs> as a Liberty Ship, which is a kind of cargo ship that was quick and cheap to construct. Due to the great need for cargo ships during the war effort, these ships could be pumped out in 10 days and workplace health and safety was not a very high priority. Some of the welders who constructed this ship were accidentally sealed inside the hulls of the ship where they perished. No. Not a fan of that. Not at all. Not a great start. (laughs) No. No. Nah. Nah. The ship was leased <laughs> to the Norwegian Shipping and Trade Mission during the war and saw 18 months of service. The ship was renamed the viggo Hahnstein and was critical in carrying troops with and cargo... With dead bodies inside? ...throughout the war, with dead bodies. It was the war, they had to pump those ships out. No. Now, the ship did not have a great World War II. Um, it was constantly suffering from technical difficulties and on one mission it became stranded on an unmapped reef which left it vulnerable to German attack until it was finally managed to free itself 6 hours later, imagine being in like you know, like conflict-ridden waters, stuck on a reef for 6 hours with German U-boats getting ever closer. You could be bombed from the sky in minutes. This was the unluckiest ship in history. Ghosts. Yeah, because of the ghosts. Um spoilers, it's because of the ghosts. It was during <laughs> its time as a war service ship that a horrific act occurred on board. The second radio offer O- operator, a Canadian woman named Maud Steen, w- on her first deployment Maud. was murdered by gunnery officer Anka Christensen, who then killed himself. No. Allegedly, Maud You're St- already in the middle of conflict. Don't do it. Don't murder. Don't murder, but like. <laughs> you can murder the Nazis. Don't murder your fellow crewmen. <laughs> what the fuck?
1: Whose side are you on? Busy.
0: Anyway, so allegedly Maud had spurned Anka's advances, and after a night of binge drinking on shore, he lured Maud into his cabin, shot her in the head, and then shot himself. The shots went unheard by the other crew members as they were moving anchorage, which covered the noise. Their bodies were found by able seaman Cornelius Cornelius on a routine check, lying in Anka's cabin. As if in response to the deaths, after the bodies were found, the weather suddenly turned, with heavy rains extreme wind, and intermittent thunder. The ship was told by the shore authority to remain in place and ride out the swell, but it was in danger of coming in contact with a nearby ship, so they had to drop anchor anyway and try and stay in place, which if you know anything about ships, it's very dangerous to be anchored when there are like, big waves knocking you around because the anchor can snap and you can die. Um, so even for a ship in the time of war, these deaths were seen as a very bad omen, and it was rumored that some seamen refused to set foot on board. Clever. The right choice. After the war, the ship was sold to a Greek shipping company and it was renamed the Alchemos. It worked as a merchant ship for two decades until 1963 when it ran aground in Bugle Rocks off the coast of Western Australia. The ship's propeller was damaged, so it was decided that the ship would be towed to Fremantle to be repaired. While it was in Fremantle awaiting repair, the ship spontaneously caught on fire, damaging the ship even further. When basic repairs were completed, the ship was to sail to Hong Kong to get a full overhaul, but the tow line snapped an hour after departure and the strong waves sent it hurtling towards the shore where it again ran aground near Fremantle. The ship was unable to be moved at that time, so they weighted it down with water and left it in the care of a caretaker until it could be salvaged. Numerous caretakers watched the ship and they reported hearing inexplicable noises such as voices and footsteps despite being alone on board the ship. Ghostly smells were also reported, with caretakers saying they could smell cooking from the galley. They also reported a sense of constantly being watched. Um, The ship was meant to be towed to Manila by a vessel known as the Pacific Star, but very shortly after departing, the Pacific Star was told to halt operations due to a financial dispute with their shipping company. The Pacific Star left the Alkimos near Yanchet Beach and sailed on to Manila. Strong waves again broke the alchemist free of her anchor and it became badly damaged and caught upon the rocks. The Pacific Star, meanwhile, mysteriously caught fire when it returned back to Manila. The ownership of the alchemist transferred to a number of different salvage operations over the years, but the crews were never quite able to complete their task, as mysterious occurrences kept happening on board. Tools would suddenly disappear and reappear in completely different parts of the ship. Salvage crews reported again and again the same strange sounds and smells heard and smelt by the ship's caretakers voices and disembodied footsteps were heard walking around the ship but whenever a crew member would reach where the voices seemed to be coming from they would find it empty sounds and smells of cooking would come from the galley but again whenever anybody went into the galley to investigate it would stop only to start again when the person had left the ship suffered another tragedy when a female caretaker suffered a terrible fall and lost the baby she was carrying i know very sad it became evident the Alchemist could not be saved, and it was bought and sold again many times by various companies hoping to sell it for scrap. The curse of the Alkamos also touched these businessmen, as a number of them were hit by bankruptcy, sudden illnesses, and even death. A Navy submariner named Ted Snyder was asked to make measurements of the propeller and the rudders of the Alchemist as part of the scrapping effort. Snyder did so, and shortly after, he was killed in a freak plane accident. Another mysterious fire broke out on board, which sent the scrapping crew running off the ship. In the, al- in the end, scrapping the alchemist was also given up, and the ship remains in place, although there is very little of it left these days. Parts of the ship continue to fall off into the water, and it is a very precarious place for divers wishing to visit the wreckage, not just because of the falling metal, but because divers have reported that their computers and other equipment suddenly start malfunctioning when in proximity of the ship. Fishermen in the area have also reported seeing apparitions of a man in rubber boots and oilskins named Harry. In fact, Harry was seen so frequently by different fishermen that they believed Harry was a homeless person who just lived aboard the wreck until the fishermen discovered that the ship was actually uninhabitable, where they then realised that Harry was, in fact, a ghost. There have been many fatal and near-fatal drownings near to the ship, including the death of a long-distance swimmer named Herbert Voigt, who was training nearby and one day disappeared. His skull was found sometime later, washed aboard the wreck of the Alchemosses. You can't really visit the Alkamos as much of it is disappearing into the ocean, but if you are a certified diver, you can dive around the wreck and you can still see portions of it from the ship of the ship from the shore. Although I would advise you to not visit as you will probably wind up being cursed. I'm so
1: scared. Ships
0: have a lot of like, you know, superstition about them and like, you know, you can't set sail on a Friday and things like that. There are a lot of You can't set sail on a Friday. No, you can't set sail on a Friday. It's bad luck to set sail on a Friday. Um, it's bad luck to have women on board, obviously, even though like that's bullshit. Um, I think even for like, see people who are suspicious in general, like that is one of the most cursed things I have ever heard of. People who owned the businesses who wanted to scrap it mysteriously dying, like the, the submariner dying in a freak plane accident. That is like an Egyptian Pharaoh curse level (laughs) of bullshit. (laughs) That's like we all cracked open the sarcophagus and then we all died of mysterious diseases one after the other.
1: God, I am so fucked up right now. I am so fucked up.
0: Well, we only have one left. And then after that, we get to walk in the rain home. (laughs) So um, this next story comes from the Northern Territory and is a little bit different. Um, So we've heard lots of stories of like haunted places and everything like that. Um, and this is a little bit different and I think it's representative of like a different part of Australian history. So this case happened in Darwin. Now, Darwin is the capital city of the Northern Territory, Australia's least populated state. Um, it's a coastal city situated on the Timor Sea and its closest local neighbour is Alice Springs, which is some 1500 kilometres south. Darwin sits right underneath Indonesia, Malaysia and Papua New Guinea. Darwin and Indonesia have an interesting relationship dating back centuries to trading relationships between the indigenous people of the territories and the Indonesians. Darwin also has a very similar weather to Southeast Asia with a wet and dry seasons and frequent monsoon rains. Darwin also has a very interesting war history. Um, I don't know if many people outside of Australia know that Darwin was the subject of a number of air raids from the Japanese forces during the war and it was bombed around 60 times with between... The reports vary, but a few hundred people died, um, both civilians and military. Um, As such, there was a certain amount of infrastructure left over from the war that you can still see in Darwin today, including the Darwin Military Museum, which is a former military fortification which lies in Darwin's East Point Reserve. The 200 hectare reserve contains a number of recreation facilities, including a lake, exercise stations, and walking trails. And it is littered with the remains of naval and anti-aircraft guns used to defend Darwin during World War II. After the war, East Point became a place with a bit of L repute, where groups of teenagers would hang out and drink and do various activities like racing cars and other stuff that they did in Greece. A um, street car, yeah, very street car, very like the Sharks oh, and the jets kind of stuff.
1: Um, Rebel without a cause.
0: Yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, It was also a place where boys and girls would go for some alone time away from the adults. (laughs) I liked the alone time voice you put on. Thank you. Acting. Um, It was also where the local homeless population would settle down for the night. One activity that was common with youths hanging out in East Point would be to venture out alone at night to the row of flaming Poinciana trees and see if they could survive an encounter with the fearsome Poinciana woman. Nope. Nope. You personally wouldn't survive an encounter with the Poinciana nope. woman. Nope. No,
1: won't. Wouldn't. No. Busy.
0: So the Poinciana Woman is an urban legend in Darwin that is basically accepted as fact. Locals have been telling stories of the Poinciana woman since at least nineteen forty-nine, and everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who has come across the Poinciana woman one night. While some elements of the story vary in the retelling, the fundamentals are the same. The Poinciana woman was a beautiful dark-skinned woman with beautiful clear skin, long dark hair, and long fingernails. One night, she was brutally raped by a pack of Japanese fishermen out on East Point. She was driven insane by the attack, and once she learned she was pregnant, she hung herself from a branch of the Poinciana tree where she was attacked. (gasps) She then turned into a wraith, presenting herself as the beautiful woman she was in life, with long dark hair and a beautiful white dress, to lure men with bad intentions to the Poinciana tree, where she would transform into a hideous, wild-haired harpy, her long nails turning into claws that she would use to eviscerate her victims and feed on their guts. (laughs) She had to scream like a banshee, and if you heard it alone out at East Point, you knew you needed to get away. You could summon the Poinciana woman by waiting for a moonless night, spinning around three times, and calling out her name.
1: Poinciana. No! No, no! Don't try
0: it! (laughs) Don't do it! Are you kidding? So as I said, there are some variations on the story. Some said she was an Asian woman raped by Japan, Japanese fishermen. Some say that she wasn't raped by a group of men, but a man who knew that, that she knew who was never punished for the crime. Some say that she was an indigenous woman raped by soldiers. And you can actually often find uh, stories about the Poinciana woman in articles about indigenous spirits. Um, some variations say that she doesn't lure men to their deaths, but children driven mad by jealousy that her chance to raise a child was taken from her. Regardless of these little variations, the Poinciana woman is incredibly well-known in Darwin. She has been used by mothers to warn their children not to go to East Point at night, or else the Poinciana woman would get them. She's been depicted in all kinds of artwork, from paintings to plays, and she's been called Darwin's number one urban myth. And there have been all kinds of attempts to link the Poinciana to a real person or a real crime. One researcher did uncover a story about a woman who committed suicide in Darwin in the 1930s which was quite big news at the time but there's no story about that woman being raped and that woman committed suicide by poisoning so she's probably not the Poinciana woman. She was Chinese though. So writer and researcher Roland Dieting went on the search for a real crime that he could link to the Poinciana woman which was a story that had captivated him since childhood. He wrote an award-winning article which I will link in the show notes about her origins. So while he was researching this article one day I'm not going to explain the context of this story too much, but one day he was waiting at a drug dealer's house to buy a laptop and the girlfriend of the person that he was supposed to buy a laptop off came out of their room. She was an Indonesian woman with long, dark hair. She came out, had a conversation with the drug dealer guy in Indonesian and flipped him off. The drug dealer in response called this woman a pointy (gasps) So the pointy is an Indonesian spirit of a woman who died in childbirth. These women, for whatever reason, remain on earth and they have long dark hair, red eyes and long fingernails and they wear white dresses smeared with blood. They have hideous appearances but can appear beautiful in order to entice men. The pointy has a high-pitched cry which can sound like a baby crying. So she cries softly when she's nearby and if it's loud, she's quite far away. She comes out on a full moon and she kills her victims by digging into their stomachs with her fingernails and devouring their organs. So the pointy Pontianak in Indonesia is associated with the banana tree which is where it is said her spirit lives during the day and you can smell the Pontianak coming as she smells initially of the frangipani flower followed by the smell of decayed bodies. So the Pontianak is accepted folklore in Indonesia. Mothers tell their daughters to tie their long hair up so they aren't mistaken for a Pontianak men are told not to look in the eyes of women who are walking alone at night as she might be a pontianak trying to seduce him there is even a city in indonesia called pontianak and she has been the subject of tons of movies books and again depicted in an artwork and also i want to say that she is my personal hero um she has been cited not only in indonesia but in malaysia bangladesh and india where she no- she's known under a variety of names and she's also in darwin where she's known as the pontianak woman i think that it is like just so amazing that this story, this story has been told in Darwin for all these years and everybody grew up with the story of the Poinciana woman who was going to come and get you. And then nobody knew the origins of it. Everybody was trying to find out who the Poinciana woman was, not knowing that she was a spirit from Indonesia that had kind of travelled down, you know. I can just imagine, like... The Indonesians back in the day, like coming to like the indigenous people of the Northern Territory and sharing these stories with them. And that story has grown into the myth of the Poinciana woman. Um, and I also think what's so interesting about the story is that it it kind of speaks to the different fears held at times by the community. So in one version of the story, like where she's raped by Japanese fishermen, obviously in Darwin, there's a lot of like anti-Japanese sentiment after the war mm. Um, in the Indigenous version of the story, she's raped by soldiers and, like, obviously you don't really need to do a lot of analysis to realise why that was a fear. But it, it also speaks a lot of fears that I think women have. Like, I feel like if you're a teenage girl in the 50s or whatever and you at East Point with some boy that maybe you don't want to be with, like, don't worry, girl, because there is a vengeful spirit that will come and eviscerate him if you need to.
1: Is there any... No, there wouldn't
0: be. There right. was not any recorded deaths in East Point, but I also have read, um, I can't remember if I read or listened to, I have either read or listened to a story that one person told where the Poinciana woman doesn't necessarily literally rip you open and tear your guts out. But, but like, mentally. But mentally. Like if you're a man who, like she, she's a, she's a vengeance spirit essentially. Like if you're a man who's wronged a woman and some – long black head harpy comes out of the forest and like swipes at you and makes you feel like she's ripped your guts out and she's eating them like that's gonna fix you up real quick that's gonna stop you from ever doing anything to wrong a woman ever again
1: I'm so scared.
0: so that's our last story the story of the poinciana woman um i recommend reading the article it is fucked um and so interesting and so much research has gone into it And I think that it is an amazing example of, like, the universality of all these ghost stories. You know what I mean? Like, they're things that we're afraid of, but we're all afraid of them. Like, across cultures and across time periods and stuff like that. Like, we're terrified of being imprisoned. So, like, ghosts in prisons freak us out so much and then they make us so depressed. You know, the thought of being trapped in some small cell is enough to make you cry in the fetal position and need to be carried out you know those feelings of like anger and frustration and hatred when like a crime happens to you you know if you're a woman to think that there is some spirit out there that is exacting revenge on these men for you like it's so universal and ghost stories are freaky but I love them and I think they're great (laughs) so thank you for listening to our
1: Audio ghost tour of Australia. Thank you for your hard work, Ellen. Thank you for allowing me never
0: to sleep again. If I've ruined one person's life, well, that's, that's all I ever want. I just want one person to be deeply traumatised by one of these stories. Go in and research yourself. There are things that I left out. There are more, like even just in these places. And I read so many stories about different haunted places before choosing these ones. Like, Australia is haunted as fuck. There is – for a country that only has, like, you know, 200-odd years of, like, white history, they're all still here. <laughs> it's incredibly haunted.
1: Okay. Um. Well, I'm going to go take a sleeping pill because it's 10 o'clock and I need to sleep but I'm never going to – no, nope, just very frightened right now. Um. Please make sure that you rate and review – uh, send us an email at murder in the Land of oz at, G- at com. I thought I said the name of another murder podcast. Um, turns out I didn't. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, please get in touch with us. We're about to start. Uh, I think we've only got like two episodes left in New South Wales. One. One episode left in New South Wales. And then we are on to Victoria. Very excited. Cool. Great. Happy uh, Halloween. Emma.
0: I hope it was a spooky time.
1: Yep. Um, put your costumes on, like hold it up, love it, live
0: it. Love live it, your live best it.
1: Live your best life. Um, yeah,
0: just really stoked for you. <laughs> really stoked for everybody experiencing <laughs> Halloween right now.
1: Okay. All right. I'm going to go take a sleeping pill, okay? Uh, bye. Bye. bye.